0: Hey everybody, we are back after a two-month break from the show and I apologize and sometimes it's hard to find a guest that we really want to interview and so today we have someone named Gabe Trujillo from Arizona and he is a producer for NBC News affiliate in Phoenix amongst lots of other cool things and so we're going to talk to him about that and how it became disabled and all of that good stuff. So hey Gabe, welcome.
1: Welcome, thank you for having me.
0: This is awesome. I you know when I found out you worked for NBC News, that is just I think one of the greatest things to see someone with a visual visual disability, you know, working at a place like that and we'll go into that later, but I'm so very glad you decided to come on the show today because I think your story will definitely inspire some people who are also disabled. So that's what we're trying to go for here. But mm-hmm. let's start let's start from the beginning if you don't mind and will you kind of share with everybody, you know, your uh age, where you're from exactly, if you want to share where in Arizona, and maybe your diagnosis, if you don't mind.
1: Perfect. Yes. Uh, So my name is Gabe Trujillo. Uh, I'm a native Arizonan, uh, born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Currently live here in the Valley uh, right now. Uh, I'm 39 years old. And I guess my disability story uh, began when I was 14 years old. Um, Of course, a little bit before that, uh, I was diagnosed with asthma at a relatively young age. Uh, when I was a toddler, um, so I was your average, normal kid growing up. Uh, I enjoyed hanging out with friends and playing sports. Um, my brother and I were avid baseball fans, so um, we were always on my dad's little league team.
0: Uh,
1: played sports if whenever we can. And with me being asthmatic, uh, of course, I was never far away uh, from my inhaler. Uh, but I tried not to let that stop me. I played any sports I could. Participated in any. Activities that I could, uh, barring any asthmatic attacks or any setbacks like that. But um, my life, for all intents and purposes, was relatively normal, Mm -hmm. nothing too exciting. Um, But on a couple instances, uh, when I was growing up, uh, I developed severe colds uh, that developed into pneumonia. So, a couple of times during my early childhood years, uh, I was submitted into the hospital uh, while I recovered through these illnesses. Um, But again, nothing serious, just a couple couple days in the hospital and I was back being normal and just hanging out, doing whatever. Um, But when I was 14, uh, I developed another severe cold. Um, Like before we had thought, oh, I'll just be sick for a few days and get better. But unfortunately uh, for this time, uh, it was way back in 1997. And uh, just for one reason or another, my symptoms kept getting worse and worse and worse Uh, And this one day in September, uh, it just got to the point where it was too hard for me to breathe on my own. So I stumbled out of bed in the middle of the night and got my parents and said we needed to go to the emergency room. Um, So my dad jumped up out of bed, threw me in the car and drove me over to the ER. Uh, When I got there, my symptoms continued to get worse. Uh, They gave me numerous breathing treatments, uh, drugs, nebulizers, whatever they could. Mm-hmm. to try and get my airway to open up, um, but it nothing seemed to be working. Uh, so while I was there, they worked on me for a little bit until they decided to airlift me to another local children's hospital uh, nearby. Um, mm-hmm. So once there, I ended up going to uh, the children's hospital uh, by helicopter. Oh uh, I ended up getting there. Um, when I arrived at that hospital, my right lung ended up collapsing uh, and I ended up drifting into a coma. Mm-hmm. Um, doctors still had no idea what caused this this severe uh, reaction to, to this illness. Uh, I had been sick many times before, but nothing this bad. Um, but after my lung collapsed, uh, I was admitted into the intensive care unit. Uh, and I ended up falling into a coma mm-hmm. for about four or five days. Uh, and when I woke up, um, for whatever reason, I had lost the ability to move my arms and legs. Wow. Um, I was connected to a ventilator, help me breathe since I did have uh, a collapsed lung. Uh, I was now having the ventilator breathe for me. Um, and I just, I couldn't move my arms and legs anymore. Wow. Uh, so for for about a month after that, uh, I stayed in the intensive care unit, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: slowly trying to regain any strength that I could. Um, doctors continue to, do numerous tests to figure out what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, After that, I was then uh, admitted to the uh, subacute unit, which was for patients well enough to be out of the general floor, but not well enough to go home. So it was kind of a a rehab unit. Uh, Ended up spending the next eight months there trying to regain my abilities. Um, Nothing really seemed to come back. Uh, I was able to get enough strength to be able to sit up into a a chair, uh, in a wheelchair. Uh, there I had learned how to use an electric wheelchair to get around since I no longer had any, um, hand or leg function. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
1: um, for about the next year and a half, I was still connected to a ventilator, uh, to help me breathe. So I had a trach, which was a a tube in my throat. And I had that trach probably for another couple of years after that. But, uh, in total, I spent about nine months in the hospital recovering Um, When I was well enough to go home, uh, I was a quadriplegic for all intents and purposes, Mm -hmm. uh, and I had to adjust to a a new life. No longer was this, I was an eager 14-year-old freshman in high school. I was uh, adjusting to being a disabled person and trying to navigate life uh, on a wheelchair, as it were.
0: I got to say, you became a quadriplegic in the most complicated way possible. (laughs) That's crazy. Really, truly. I mean, wow, everyone's like one and done. But I know from reading your About Me on your webpage too, they eventually diagnosed you with a form of like rare form of polio, right?
1: Yeah. So when I was first uh, introduced in the hospital, they're like, oh, you have something called Guillain-Barré syndrome.
0: Right. That's and, a common one. Yeah. And mm-hmm.
1: it, it's it's a form of paralysis and you should be fine in four to six weeks. And at, at the time I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to be a quad for four to six weeks. <laughs> and, and then four to six weeks came by and they're like, well, it's not Guillain-Barré. It's oh. this thing called acute asthmatic steroid myopathy. Weird. And yeah like, well, that, that could take three mm-hmm. to six months, but you should be fine. So okay. then- three to six months comes by and I'm still not any better. And then they're like, well, we don't really know what it is. So Uh from Mm -hmm. that first year after I got sick, um, I was essentially gone without a diagnosis. So so I would spend probably the next two to three years, just going from Shriners hospital to UCLA to neurologists from all over the country. Mm -hmm. And none of them had any idea what it was. And so finally uh, one neurologist, probably about three years later, uh-huh. uh, did some tests and is like, the closest thing I can think of is this thing called Hopkins syndrome. And it's a rare form of polio prevalent in asthmatics. And essentially, okay. after these severe asthmatic episodes, your nervous system just shuts down. So and weird. when your body reboots, it loses the ability to produce these cells called axle horn cells, which okay. essentially act as the trigger between your muscles and nerve endings
0: Wow! and
1: so I no longer had these cells that allowed my muscles and nerve endings to communicate.
0: Wow. It's so interesting. And so just crazy. Thank God for they were able to figure it out eventually. I bet you were just as a family just going, what in the heck is this? That's so nuts. So I know personally, I was also injured at 14. um, And so I know exactly what it's like to go (laughs) through an injury at that age. But why don't you just share a little bit about what it was like going back to high school and dealing with the transition of becoming a full-time wheelchair user at the age of 14?
1: Yeah, uh, it was definitely a, a, a paradigm shifting moment for yeah. me. Um, before I got sick, I was, for all intents and purposes, a, a shy kid. I I had friends, but I was never really outgoing by any stretch of the imagination. So you can imagine my shock and disbelief, yeah. but now I all of a sudden stuck out like a sore thumb everywhere I went. Um, <laughs> I was all about blending into the background and not causing a stir but now being stuck to a wheelchair 24 7 with a giant breathing machine on your back connected mm-hmm. to a long tube to your neck <laughs> you, you you stuck out uh people noticed and right.
0: did they, they put you like in the front of the class when you went back to high school like in yes. that, by that table so desk I absolutely so for the yeah. for
1: the most part mm-hmm. i was sitting right up front and when i first got back to to school um I had to have a nurse with me since i had a ventilator attached to me so uh, mm-hmm. a nurse would accompany me everywhere i went um so like i was always getting the the stairs and the points and the the weird is and um it, it was definitely uh, a different experience um i was constantly stressed out just because i was nervous about what people were thinking about me i mean as any teenager it's like you're always worried about what other people would think of you at that point and so just mm-hmm. Have this on top of all of the regular teenage anxiety was was something that I didn't know I was essentially only about a month and a half in to my freshman year of high school when all this happened. So oh, wow. I didn't even I didn't even get to fully experience the high school experience when it happened. Um, so it was definitely a, a huge culture shock. But uh, luckily for me, I, I had a really good support system uh, <laughs> around me, so I was able to um, navigate without any. Serious issues or consequences. I mean, yeah, as, as much consequences as you can have as a as a fourteen year old.
0: Oh, I know that. So, what if you could look back at that time? What were a, a few things if you can pinpoint that did help you transition that high school era of your life? What what helped during that time?
1: Um, I, I focused a lot on my family. Um, mm-hmm. I had a younger brother who's only two years behind me, so. We were essentially best friends, and he he was a really big help to help me just stay grounded and not worry too much about it. Um, outside of my core friend group, mm-hmm. um, I didn't really focus much on making friends. Yep, not yep. that it wasn't important, but as an introvert, it, it never really was high on my priority list, and so um, I didn't really give much thought to having a friend group outside of the normal yep. Classroom schools day to day stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. When I did get sick, um, it was kind of jarring just because I had that core group of friends, and they like slowly but surely started to distance themselves from me. I mean,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's it's a shock to see your your friend uh, in that kind of situation. So of I, yeah. I I don't judge them or I don't fault them for falling mm-hmm. behind because how can you invite this kid in a wheelchair and all that stuff to the normal parties and whatnot so i don't fault them i mean i i felt bad i didn't get to hang out with friends much anymore but
0: mm-hmm.
1: um i just focused on what i did have and that was yeah
0: like what was that? did you go do a great you do more, family whereas yours was schooling more important did you find any like other things that you enjoyed to do you know yes. yeah so when
1: I, when I was a kid um, mm-hmm. i was always teased at being the only first grader who walked around with a day planner <laughs> um, school was very important to me, even as a little kid, okay. um, I was really good at it. So I spent all my time and energy into being a good school student. Um, even when I was in the hospital, I spent eight months in the hospital. But the first thing that I was worrying about is what's going to happen to my classwork. Okay. So along mm-hmm. with my occupational therapy, my respiratory therapy, I made sure that they had it a- and there with me. I completed my entire freshman year of high school in the hospital wow. while I was trying to learn mm-hmm. how to breathe all over again and learn all the English and math and science and all that on mm-hmm. top of that. So when I did get back to school, I stayed on track with all of my current classmates. So Good. I actually went back to sophomore when I did um, get really focused on that. Like, was my number one priority. I wanted to do whatever I could to make sure I stayed on track and graduated. And then of course, outside of school, I focused on like sports since I, I love sports and
0: yeah.
1: I had a ton of hobbies, whether that was collecting autographs or baseball cards or whatever.
0: Fun, fun. Well, you're in Arizona, birthday, so you can always candy, go watch whatever. like the spring training and stuff down there or whatever. Right. In Arizona, is it pretty great for the sports down there?
1: Yes, um, there's a lot of really cool. Um, uh, born and bred, uh, I love all of the hometown teams. So, yeah, um, we're we're big Suns fans, and um, we even have Cardinal season tickets. So that was one thing we look forward to every year: was to go to the Cardinal game. Focus on those sports. It, sports is a really big part of who I am uh, as as a person because we've spent so much time uh going to games and hanging out and doing all that
0: i love that you know well, that's why i was going to say you know you got hurt in the late 90s so adaptive like gaming stuff wasn't really a thing right then mm-hmm. so i know a lot of guys now when they're newly injured they love to play video games it's like a mental kind of outlet for them to kind of you know not really have to think about some of the stress of every day so but i bet for you that wasn't it's possible back in the 90s huh
1: yeah. Um, when I first got sick, there was, uh, not as much as I, I used to before, mm-hmm. um, but I still try and, and keep up with all the cool games coming out. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, mm-hmm. uh, we did have a lot of Halo tournaments. Okay. So I, me and my brother's friends, they'd always come over and uh, they'd set me up on my little uh, flat table with the, the joystick and I'd able to uh, participate in all the Halo parties with them, and That's that awesome. was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to, to be part of a fan group and participate in that, that was really fun. And you know, and yeah, mind yeah, and all that
0: you have to try, even back in the day, we had to try. I played with my mouth too. Yeah. But let's talk about college. I know that since you're such a good student and you probably already had in your mind what you wanted to do, but since you were now, you know, a quadriplegic, were your career aspirations different than what you had wanted to do before, or was it kind of You really didn't know at the time, because I know you were only 14, so.
1: Right. Um, Well, when I was a kid growing up, um, I was a big X-Files fan. So (laughs) I had always envisioned myself maybe becoming an FBI agent and hunting for UFOs and all that whatnot.
0: Fine. I I was kind (laughs) of set on
1: on joining the FBI. But after I got sick, I kind of just shifted to, okay, well, what can I do as a quadriplegic almost? Right. Uh, and when I was in the hospital, I remembered one of my child life specialists had encouraged me to write about my experience of being uh, disabled and being a quadriplegic. And mm-hmm. so, when I was in the hospital, uh, they helped me like write down. But I was thinking uh, write down how I felt being a quadriplegic and that. And I I really enjoyed doing that, putting pen to paper and, and telling a story. Yeah. Um, so around that point, I realized that, well, if <laughs> FBI agent really wasn't the path for me anymore, why don't I I try writing? Uh, I enjoyed doing it there uh, when I was in the hospital, and I was pretty good at it. So I figured, why don't I see what I can do about turning that into a career? So then that's when I turned to journalism and seeing if there's a way that I can uh, parlay a career into that.
0: That's awesome. You know, it's tricky, and a lot of people think, oh. I'm going to be a writer, which means I'm going to write books for a living. How did you think, oh, writer journalism, you must have already liked nonfiction. Was that kind of a thing that you were into?
1: Um, Not really. I mean, Mm -hmm. as a kid, my parents and I would always sit down and watch the news after dinner and Mm -hmm. before we went to bed. And I just remembered always watching the news and telling those types of stories. And from that moment on, when I, I saw journalism and writing, I was like, well, I can write stories like that. I, I can interview people and, and talk things to that, that nature. And cool. so after that, I just realized, well, why don't I pursue journalism? And right. I enjoy sharing my stories. So why can't I share others' stories as well? So, then so that's how Wow. How
0: so, so then you decided at your bachelor's, Uh, when you're studying for your bachelor's, that's when you wanted to do journalism. You knew then?
1: Yeah, probably around then. Um, cool, cool. cool. I, I had heard from friends that the Walter Cronkite School was one of the best schools in the country. And yeah. it was right here in my backyard. So I figured, no hey, it, it's uh, almost a sign that wow.
0: if I'm going to follow
1: journalism, I I have one of the best schools in the country right down the street. So oh, why don't I, so... I put my sights on that and go there?
0: So was that part of your bachelor's or was that a master's program if you go to Walter Cronkite? or
1: uh, It was you... part of my bachelor's. Your
0: bachelor's, that's so cool. So, wow, okay, well, I could talk about that for a whole half an hour, but wow. <laughs> so when you, when you decided to go to college and all that, I mean, this is a good question, accessibility accommodations. Uh, we can briefly discuss that. Was your college pretty good about providing you with the accommodations you needed?
1: Yes, um, ASU was very accommodating. Mm-hmm. Um, just from their regular campus, uh, it's one of the more accessible universities in the country as far as people with disabilities. Um, of course, with the weather, you're not going to deal with any large amounts of rain or snow. So yeah. um, the environment there, it was really um, good for people in wheelchairs. That's but outside great. of that, they had really good resources, um, whether it was note takers or access to um, seating arrangements uh, in, in the classroom. Right. Yeah. To any other technol- technology or any other adaptive equipment you might need. Um, they had plenty of options available uh, for anyone who had any specific uh, wheelchair or uh, physical disability needs.
0: Did you live on campus or did you for your caregivers or how did you manage all that?
1: No, uh, I lived off campus. Um, I was only about 10 minutes away from campus. So we figured we'd just stay here at the house uh, and drive to and from campus. Save nice. us a bunch. Yeah. And money.
0: so Took the words um, out of my mouth. You saved yourself a lot of money. Yes. Um, that's a good idea. So yeah. well, that's so cool. So, you know, when you decide to go into journalism, you have to do internships, I'm assuming, right? Or how do you get your first job after, you know, when you decide you want to become a journalist and then you're in a wheelchair on top of it? Yeah. I mean, how did that go for you?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was kind of weird. I didn't really take that many internships um when I was going through college.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: I guess you could say like probably... The best break for me was that my junior year uh, of college, um, I ended up signing up for the school newspaper, okay. uh, State Press Magazine. So there for about a, a semester and a half, um, I was one of their staff writers. So it was probably there at that point that I got my professional experience or my my first foray into uh, journalism and writing there at that point. That's um, cool. Well, I wrote there for about a semester and a half covered a bunch of different topics, whether it was general education. Um, I did do some sports. Uh, Once I did get into journalism, I kind of had aspirations to be your next great sports writer. So I tried to do stuff that had more sports focus. Definitely. Um, But then after that, uh, I ended up just applying to do freelance gigs for local newspapers here and there. And I get some opportunities every once in a while, but uh, nothing consistent. But again, as a junior in college, you're not really going to get that steady (laughs) employment. So you just (laughs) put it wherever you can get it.
0: That's so cool. You started out Brighton in college. So post-graduation, then where was your first job and how did you eventually end up where you're at today? Because I imagine you didn't start as producer.
1: Right. Yeah. So my first job right out of college, uh, weirdly enough, was as a online English instructor. Um, I had a friend of a friend who worked at the company and said that they were looking for some online teachers, and they knew of my journalism degree and said, hey, have you ever thought about being a teacher and teaching some English classes? Um, I didn't really think about it much, but I mean, it was pretty much the first actual job that I was offered, and I wasn't in any position to decline Mm -hmm. any current job openings. I was probably about six months out of college, um, and I was looking for any opportunity to get into the workforce at that and so. Um, I didn't think it'd be that much of a problem. So I said, sure, I know I'll take it. Um, so I ended up being an online English instructor for a local high school here in Arizona. I uh, did that probably for about a year, year and a half. And I ended up moving into the school's um, marketing department. Okay. Um, at that point, social media was kind of taking off a little bit. Yeah, um, I was really interested in that. Uh, I always had an affinity for technology and um, I always enjoyed like learning stuff on my own and doing all that. So I, I wanted to see if I could get some additional knowledge, just learning how to use uh, social media and marketing and see if I could parlay that into any type of career. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up working there for about three or four more years. Uh, and then I developed that love for online marketing and turned that into another position at a marketing company here in Scottsdale, um, doing some online marketing for car dealerships and uh, hotels. So oh. I did that for about three years, mm-hmm. nothing but marketing. So doing a lot of online social media stuff, um, reviews and maintenance and all that sort of did that for a while. And I figured, I guess that was my new career now being a marketing specialist, but uh, just lo and behold, I was scrolling through the internet one day, and saw there was an opening for a social media producer uh, at, uh, 12 news here in Phoenix. And when I thought about it, I was like, well, Hey, maybe this is my chance to get back into journalism, um, throughout this whole years before that I had tried to get gigs, whether it was writing for magazines or newspapers and nothing really seemed to, to come to fruition. So I figured my future was going to be in marketing, but this position kind of stuck out at me and I figured, yeah. why don't I go ahead and throw my hat in the ring and see what happens.
0: Pretty
1: cool. And four interviews later, um, I ended up impressing them enough and became a social media producer for 12 News. And at that point, I just did all their social media stuff. I shared okay. links and wrote content for their like Facebook and Twitter and all that. Yep. And um, this was in 2015.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I have been with 12 News ever since. I worked my way up from social media producer to... Um, digital producer where I actually wrote articles kind of like I was uh, a normal journalist uh, and then from there I took over their uh, video department became a senior video producer and uh, about a couple years ago uh, I was promoted to a digital video executive producer
0: right nice. so now
1: now I am one of their morning managers so I manage the morning digital team here and we do everything from writing articles to assisting reporters with all of their online content, to actually managing and creating social content for all our platforms there, so um, it's it's been a, a fun ride. Uh, a lot of great people have met, a lot of cool, interesting people here, both in in the business and uh, just out and about doing stories. And uh, I'm really glad I stumbled across and came into the journalism industry finally.
0: Well, I I saw your bit about the Super Bowl there in Phoenix mm-hmm. when you showed the accessibility mm-hmm. uh, on camera. I, I I think you might you should do some more on camera stuff. What do you think? Um,
1: I had never really thought about it much, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was really comfortable in front of it, and
0: you I enjoyed it
1: that kind of bit. So yeah, yeah. maybe I'll, I'll I'll stick my head in front of the camera. I say this, yes,
0: we need to see more visuals of people with disabilities doing the news. One of my old friends, quadriplegic, her name was Darcy Polland. She worked for CBS News in Minneapolis and was also started out behind the camera. And then she went to a some event and they saw that she could speak well. And her boss was like, we're going to put you in front of the camera. And she was a reporter for many years. She passed away, but she was one of the few, I think, wheelchair users that I've ever seen in front of the camera. Right. There's not many out there. Yeah. Have you ever yes, seen any around your area that do the news? I'm in front of the camera in a wheelchair? Uh,
1: not really. Um, no. In my five to six years being here in the industry,
0: yeah, um,
1: I have not seen too many at all. No, um, it's kind super of what rare. I to, mm-hmm. Yeah, I alluded to that in, in my recent blog post talking yeah. about my Super Bowl week is that yeah. when I was there for uh, opening night, I actually saw about three to four other disability journalists uh, there in wheelchairs and that was just shocking to me. I was just that
0: is weird. Back, yeah.
1: like, wow, there's actually other people like me in the same industry doing stuff. And
0: I love it, it. it took a mm. giant
1: event like that for me to see someone like me uh, interacting, doing normal journalism stuff. And and that was really cool to see um, that it, I wasn't alone. that I wasn't the only person here um, being a journalist, but also being a disabled person.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and it reinvigorated me to realize that Hey, I'm not the only one. There's other people out there in my situation trying to to make it here in the journalism world, and uh, it was really cool to see.
0: I love it. I think it's awesome. You're um, and is you do you go in person every day, or is it at, or do you work from home? Just out of curiosity.
1: Uh, I'm in the newsroom every day, Monday through Friday. Very good. Uh, so okay. we had done some hybrid stuff, um, but nothing beats being in the newsroom in person and going and doing all that stuff there. So we're we're back 100% into the newsroom.
0: And the accommodations for your job, since everything is mainly like with computers, you probably don't need much. Do you speak with your mouth or do you, how do you do a lot of your like typing and stuff?
1: Yeah. So um, there's not much accommodations for me personally. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only thing I really use is a desk with an adjustable height. So I can get my wheelchair underneath it. Um, As far as typing goes, I have done some text to speech stuff, but I'm very rarely in a quiet area, so it, okay. it's really kind of hard to use that at that point. Yeah. So I've just gotten used to using uh, on-screen keyboards, okay. so then I use the mouse to hunt and peck on the text there. Sure. Um, I've gotten pretty efficient on it, so I can use that really well, and that's pretty much the only uh, technological accommodation that I need. Uh, that's great.
0: Do you pick the right field for that kind of accommodations. It's nice. I, I've, I'm yes. kind of the same way. So lastly, we're almost done here. I just want to ask, you know, for other people that are, you know, listening and listening to your story and they want to maybe get into journalism and they also have a visual disability or use a wheelchair, what advice would you give to them? You know, it sounds like it's getting better to be employed and employers are more open-minded and stuff, but is there any advice that you would give?
1: Um, my, my biggest piece of advice is just to not get discouraged. Um, when I was going through my um, school years in college and my couple of years after that, I received a ton of no's, um, whether it was, I'm sorry, we just can't accommodate the chair at this time, or we have a bunch of other people already in mind, mm-hmm. um, but thank you for applying. Uh, it would have been easy for me to just say, well, I'm not gonna find an opportunity anywhere. Um, I think it's just important to, if it's something you want to pursue, to constantly look for opportunities because you're going to get a ton of no's before you get that one yes. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I had to wait a few years until I got that one yes. But once I did find it, um, I fell into an amazing career and I don't see myself doing anything else other than that. Um, But again, you had to sift through a, a lot of negativity before you find it. Unfortunately, but I just want you guys to reiterate like it it will happen eventually. You just got to stick to your guns, um, constantly push forward. um, And again, take all the opportunities you can get. There's no opportunity small enough for you to decline. I think any little opportunity will help you in the long run, whether Mm -hmm. it's building up your skill set to prepare you for another better opportunity or to just get that foot in the door. Uh, You never know where one invitation led. So like my one online English instructor job led to online marketing, which right? gave me a mm-hmm. whole additional level of skills that ended up benefiting me when I applied for that journalism job because I had that extra experience with online marketing and social media. And that's what helped me get in the door with that. And I had would have never thought that my little online English instructing job would have given me the skills that I needed to become the journalist that I am today
0: really good advice. Very good advice. A lot of times people don't realize every little step matters, right? It does. Yeah. And by the way, do you drive or how do you get to work every day?
1: Uh, I have somebody drive me off. I have a wheelchair van, but I I rely on somebody else to drop me off.
0: All right. No license for you.
1: No, no license for me.
0: You know, you can get it probably.
1: I've thought about that. Um, Uh We can do different (laughs) things, but... All right. Yeah, another
0: conversation, another podcast, but very, very good. Thank you so much, Gabe. This has been so interesting. I would kind of knew a little bit what, what you did for a living, but this has been awesome. I think that you've helped a lot of people by sharing your story. So thank you.
1: Oh, no problem. It's been my pleasure.
0: Yeah. And hopefully we'll keep track of you and maybe we'll see you doing more on camera stuff in the future.
1: Absolutely. You never know.
0: You never know. All right. Well, thank you. Have a good one. Okay.